I'm going to follow along closely, and uh, there's a lot of information I want to get to today in the, in the sermon, so I'm, I want to direct your minds, your eyes to the, to the paper if you want to follow along there, and uh, some things there that maybe you can study later. But I pray that this message that we have today is preparing our minds for the greatest wonder that God ever has done for us, and that was the giving of his son as a sacrifice to save us from our sins. And we're going to remember that at the close of this sermon, at the, at the end of this message. But the, the main uh, passage that we're beginning with is Psalm 107, and we're, this is the conclusion of that psalm. This is, this is the thing that's left at the end of these 43 verses to, uh, to say, hey, think about this. Consider this. And we've got more to consider than what they had to consider because we have Jesus Christ. So this is, this is a message, this is a, a Psalm 107 is all provided for us a pattern. That's what it has done continuously in several different uh, images that it creates, some motifs that are represented here. And the pattern is this, is that people in great distress, the people who knew God, but for some reason they were in some great distress. And usually the reason for that distress, I say usually because it doesn't seem to me that it was always the cause for this, but these people were in great distress because of their rebellion against God. They were usually in rebellion against God, and so that caused a great distress. And then they would turn and cry out to the Lord because they were at their wit's end. They had nothing left to do. They couldn't save themselves. They were at a loss for hope except in their Lord saving them. So they cried out to the Lord and the Lord delivered them. And those delivered, and this is really the point of the psalm then, that those who have been delivered should give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, his loyal love. And for his wonders to the sons of men. So in, uh, in Psalm 107, beginning in verse number 4, you have, them, have these people pictured walking through a desert. The wilderness is a desert. It's, it's a place where there is no water, no vegetation, no food. There's no life there. They're about to die, faint and die. Their soul fainted within them. But they turn to God. They cry out. God delivers them. He is so faithful and loving kindness to us. Um, and by the way, verse number 9 says, For he has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. That's the reason we're in Psalm 107, is because of that verse. Mary, the mother of Jesus, exclaimed that verse. She was saying, she, He has filled the hungry with good things. Mary was quoting this verse. We were looking at Mary at, uh, on December 20, what, what was around, it was the Saturday before or the Sunday after Christmas. Was it Christmas on a, whatever. But anyhow, we were looking at that time when most people recognized the birth of Christ. We, were, we looked at the words of Mary, wonderful thoughts she had. He has filled the hungry with good things. That's why we're here. So these people, they were hungry, starving, dying of thirst. They cried out to the Lord and he filled them. With what is good. Uh, in the second motif, verses 10 and following, you have these pi a picture of people who were 
uh, prisoners. They cry out to God. He saves them. Verse 17 and following, you have another image that is created of people who were in, because of their iniquities, were afflicted. They were sick. They were dying. They were miserable. All because of their sins. God saves them and heals them. And then verse 23 starts the picture of the disaster here is that there, there are sailors out in the water and there's a terrible storm that comes. They're about to die. They cry out to God. They cry to the Lord. And he saved them, delivered them, brought them to the desired haven, the safe place. So it's over and over again. People in distress call out to God. He delivers them. And then the final result should always be the same. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him. Let them give thanks. So let's look now at verse number 33. And in this passage, it it brings this summary, conclusion to all that is why he has been, the, the psalmist has shared these things. So verse number 33, and I'm just going to read verse 34 with it and make some comments here. He changes the rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. Now this is a little bit of, it's a Strange passage when you get here because it's the, been the, this is the opposite of what he's been talking about the entire time. He, he finds people in distress and helps them, delivers them, provides for them. And here it's talking about he changes rivers into wilderness. And when you hear wilderness in the scripture, usually you think desert, wasteland, nothing living. He changes rivers into wilderness, springs of water into a thirsty ground. So he's doing the opposite of what he said all the time, but he tells why. Verse 34, he says, because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. So if you are one of the wicked, you are going to, instead of having good things come to you, you can expect bad things to come to you. The curses of God will come upon you. All right. And, it's, and it's sim- he's had some similar thoughts. That's why they were afflicted. That's why they had, uh, because of their iniquities. So he was reiterating, but he's not focusing on the salvation in these verses. He is saying, hey, you better watch out. you got to choose. Choose the Lord. Choose to cry out. Choose to turn to him, not away from him. Mary had a similar thought. We mentioned Mary just a second ago, but if you flip to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 1, this is where the the speech of Mary, it's like a psalm of Mary. This is what we were studying at the end of December. And I just love this young woman who is full of life and full of love, the love of God. And she is exalting, as she says in verse 46, she's exalting the Lord. And I wish we could have this spirit, I wish I could have this spirit a little bit more like Mary had. Verse 46, Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. 
And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. All right, so now look at verse, uh, look at verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. I mentioned that already, but here's the, what I want you to hear. And sent away the rich empty-handed. He sent the rich empty away. Is a little bit, bit more literal translation. He sent the rich, they think they got everything. He sends them away with nothing. They lose everything. And that's what this verse is saying back in Psalm 107, 33 and 34. Hey, you think you got everything, you might lose everything. You think you're well watered and well fed, you can go away with nothing because of wickedness. So the rich that Mary was talking about would be the ones who had everything, but they didn't have God. He, she also says in that same uh, psalm, her little speech, the Magnificat, she, she also indicates that the proud will be scattered and rulers will be brought down. So proud, is that's the opposite of God. Instead of turning humbly to God, bowing their head and, and turning their thoughts to God and living for God, they were proud and they had their own, their chest puffed up, their nose in the air. These proud folks. Verse 51 talks about them. He has, look, read, I'm in Luke 1 still. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. If you want to be exalted, don't exalt yourself because God will humble you. He will, he, and he can do that. God can, you think you're something, God can bring you down and bring you low. That's like changing a river into a wilderness. God can do it. So don't turn against God. Those who work against God will become objects of wrath. Objects of God's wrath. God really doesn't want to act with wrath. It's not what he's about, is it? We're going to look at the opposite of what God, you know, the opposite of that. God doesn't want to destroy. He doesn't want to have his wrath come upon people. But he's very clear is that if you are proud, arrogant, you are rebellious, sinful, if you are dwell in wickedness because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it, he will turn against you. His wrath will be upon you. Don't turn against God. So now back to Psalm 107. And we're you can keep a finger in Psalm, I mean, excuse me, in Luke 1. You can keep a finger there. I'm going to flip back there again. I just see a lot of similarity, especially at the end of this chapter, between what Mary was proclaiming and what the psalmist proclaims. So number, number one, as we look at verses 33 and 34, you know, you lift yourself up, God's going to knock you down. So beware. Now 35 through 38. Let's look at these four verses. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water. Now just pause for a second here. Now you can get your mind in the exact opposite. Before he was, he was taking the, the wonderful, luscious place where there's water and life and plants and everything. And he was wiping it out, making it dry land. 
We don't like that. Does anybody like the thought of that? And now he is switched and he is saying, all right, now let's get in the mode of growth, of life. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water and dry land into springs of water. And there he makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish an inhabited city. And sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. Also he blesses them and they multiply greatly. And he does not let their cattle decrease. And now this is, this is exciting to me to consider, you know, this is why we're Christians. This is why we want to tell others about Jesus because this is what God wants to do. He wants to take a life that is broken and fix it. He wants to take a life that is empty and without form, and he wants to to give it some shape. He wants to mold us and make us after his will and make us into something that is fruitful and beautiful and wonderful. The Lord prefers to change deserts into springs of water. He changes wastelands into lands of bounty. He takes what is formless and void and fills it with life and beauty. All right, so now I used some purpose right here to kind of direct, and this is interesting how this worked for me. I want to point this out. I, was, I pointed out the verse Genesis 1, verse number 2. I see these verses in Psalm kind of, they take me back to Genesis Genesis 1, where it says, um, the be- it talks about the beginning. I wanted to quote John chapter 1, verse 1. I can't do that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was, there are two words there. The earth was formless and void. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse, verse number 2. It says, the earth was formless and void, or it was without Shaped without shape, and it was empty. Those words there, it's kind of uh, interesting. We're going to talk about them down at the bottom, but look at, just think about that. That's what God does at the very beginning is that he takes the, all the, the matter of the universe, and it's just kind of, it just sounds like it's there, and God's able to, to, it was formless, and it was empty. There was nothing, and then God, in his creation, he begins to shape things and mold things and create things. It's the six days of creation. And God's shaping it. And then once he gets something shaped, he fills that space that he has created and shaped. He fills it with something. He fills it with plants and life. He fills it with light. So it's interesting, God is... What was formless and void, God takes and shapes and fills it. And now we get to Psalm 107, and I'm hearing God say this is what he wants to do with the things that are broken and messed up in this life. When somebody needs something, he, he's like, oh, you need something? You cry out to me, you need some water, you need some food, you need some healing, you need whatever it is you need. You need saved from this storm of life? God's going to take that situation and he's going to shape it 
And he's just going to fill it up with life and light and good things for you if you cry out to him. So now, as we look at this point then, in the italics at the end, I just want to point out this, and hopefully you can kind of hear this in this psalm. God making and shaping and filling things, that's what he wants to do, and that's what he wants to do with your life. Let God fill you with light and life and beauty. Now just jump to Luke again. Luke chapter 1, first of all in verse 49, Mary proclaiming, The mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. She's just a humble servant, a humble bond slave, what she calls herself in verse 48. And she's saying, he has lifted me up. He has done great things for me. Let God fill you with light and life and beauty like he filled up Mary. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. Hunger for God, thirst for God. If you hunger and thirst for the things of the world, those things leave you empty and broken. You'll never be satisfied. But you come to Jesus, the one who gives true life, the water that will leave you so you never thirst again. Turn to him. Let us continue Psalm 107. So there's been a a contrast between a God who is willing to take those who are haughty, proud, arrogant, those who are rebellious, and he will bring you low. He He will make things bad. But then in verses 35 through 38, the contrast is, oh, but if you're humble, he will lift you up, fill you with good things. That's what he wants to do. Now look at verses 39 through 41. There was a real interesting uh, word that's in here, I think. So let's read these. When they are diminished and bowed low through oppression, misery, and sorrow... He, God, pours contempt upon princes and makes them wander in a pathless, pathless waste. We'll pause there because you gotta, you got to look at that and see for sure who is the he and the what and the who. So um, in this picture that we're, that's, we're seeing here, verse number 40 talks about a prince or princes. And these are the leaders who have oppressed those, diminished those, bowed people down to him through oppression and misery and sorrow that are mentioned in 39. So there's an oppressive leader who is a a cruel taskmaster like Pharaoh was in Egypt to the Egyptians. So that's the prince that's being talked about here, is anybody who sets himself over people and oppresses them. Verse 41, and now it's talking about God. But but he sets the needy securely on high 
away from affliction and makes his families like a flock. So when leaders oppress people, the Lord will make them wander in a pathless waste. Now this is a fun spot for you guys who like to dig into the scripture a little bit deeper. That word waste, I was just a little bit curious about it and I started looking into it. And that word waste, because I was like, what's a pathless waste? Um, uh, I, I looked up some of the other translations, but it's like you're trying to get somewhere and there's no path, there's no way to tread, and you're um, and it's just waste land. It's it, and so I was like, well, what what is that? Like is it like somebody in a swamp and there's no direction? You're lost, don't know which way to go. Um, and that might be a little bit like it. Um, waste is the Hebrew the Hebrew word for it is tohu. <laughs> you want to not tofu, um, tohu. Okay, which describes the chaos before creation. In Genesis 1-2 that I already referenced, it said the earth was without form and void. It didn't have shape. It didn't have form and it was empty. That, that verse in Genesis 1-2, it says the earth was, was tohu and bohu. <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing there. It was the earth was tohu and bohu. The, the word tohu means formless. It was without shape. It was chaos. That you know, and and then God comes into the scene and he starts to shape it and form it, and he does his creative work with it, molding it, making it. He takes something that is without form. It is a chaotic situation. There's no order, and he changes it and molds it and makes it into a, an orderly place. And so there's this little flashback that perhaps is intentional here, that word. If you want to do a, a word study on tohu, and I'd encourage it. So I think it was only used 20 times in the Old Testament. But it's this idea of disorder, formless. And so that's what he does to these princes who have elevated themselves. They think they got everything together. together. They're the ones in charge. They got control. And he takes them and he, he sends them on a way where they're on wandering around in a place where there is no place. It's, he, he basically destroys them. You think about creation, God takes the nothingness. And creates it into something. And this is saying this is he's going to work the opposite in these lives of people. He's going to take them who, who think they're something and he turns them into wandering around in a state of chaos and disorder, disarray, formlessness. They've got nowhere to go. They're lost. This is a terrible situation. That's what God is willing to do for those who oppose him and harm his people. And uh, I've got a verse there that's listed on the outline that you can take, um, you can look up later if you want to. Jeremiah 4.23 uses tohu and bohu together. Tohu and bohu. That's a fun one, isn't it? Now, there is a contrast to this, though. 
And that is, and by the way, that was just, it it surprised me so much because in verses uh, 35 through 38 where it's talking about God creating something where there was nothing in people's lives or whatever, I was already thinking of God's a creative God. And then, then in the very next set of scriptures, verse 40, when it mentions tohu, I was like, oh yeah, but God warns us he can go in the opposite direction too. He is very creative, but he will work in the opposite direction just like at the beginning. He created. Now he can take the creation that has been, uh, been corrupted and he'll destroy um, but the, the oppressed ones he'll set securely on high. Verse number 41. But he sets the needy securely on high. Away from affliction. He'll do that for people. He will help us and save us. Now verses 42 and 43. The upright see it and are glad. But all unrighteous All unrighteousness shuts its mouth. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindness of the Lord. So for verse 42, I just want to ask, are you glad when the oppressed are blessed? When you see people who are set securely on high, when they're helped, by God. Are you glad for that? Are you glad when that happened to you, when God lifted you up and helped you? And are you glad when unrighteous people get shut down? We're usually, that's, that's, we like it when we see somebody acting poorly or they're hurting somebody and then something bad happens to them. We like that, don't we? So that's what God does. And we need to pay attention to that. And we need to make sure that we're on the right side of understanding what is right and what is wrong. So that we can be glad when the unrighteous people get shut down. Or when unrighteousness has to shut its mouth. For verse 43, I want to encourage us to be wise and consider and listen. Consider what we have learned from this psalm. Consider how it applies to us. And in particular, I want to focus on the fact that verse 40 mentions a prince. He pours contempt upon princes. The princes who were the oppressors and caused the others to be in misery and sorrow. And I would ask you, what prince is the greatest oppressor of all time? What prince, what ruler, what authority is the greatest oppressor of all time? And there is one answer by far and away above all others. And it is the prince of darkness who deceives the, the whole world. This is that in Revelation 12.9, it mentions the, the ruler has, who has deceived the whole world or who deceives it. And he is called the serpent of old. The serpent of old, the very one who showed up in the garden and deceived Adam and Eve, is seeking to deceive every one of us. He wants to oppress you. And if you're still in your sins, if you are not in Christ Jesus, you are the one who is in darkness. 
You are the one who is oppressed in misery and sorrow, and you need to cry out to the Lord for him to deliver you. So I encourage you, turn from Satan. Turn from that serpent of old. Cry out to the Lord, and he will deliver you. He is steadfast in his love. He has created you. He wants to take your your life you're willing to empty yourself of your own thoughts and desires and you would just say to God, all right, I'm coming to you as tofu, tofu, tofu. <laughs> there I did it, said tofu by accident. I'm tofu, I'm, I'm formless, my life is chaos and I just want to turn my life over to you so you can mold me and make me after your will. So you can fill me with your spirit, O oh God, because my life, the way I'm doing it on my own and trying to figure out things on my own, is just a mess. And I am without hope and I am lost. And I feel like the guy who is, who is on this, in this wandering around in this pathless waste. So I'm just going to give you my life, God. Deliver me. Help me. And if you will... Have that attitude where you empty yourself and you turn to God with a humble heart and cry out to him. He can save you. He will deliver you. He is faithful for that. The one who created you in the first place wants to fill you with life and hope and beauty and goodness. He wants to fill you with his spirit. And he does that has done that already, if you'll accept it, by providing Jesus Christ. And this is the greatest wonder. This is the greatest wonder of all history. Just as Satan is the most oppressive um, prince, the prince of darkness who has destroyed and lied through all time, Jesus is the one who is the greatest wonder, the greatest gift to us. To the sons of men. Romans chapter 5. Verses 5 through 11. And hope does not disappoint. Sorry for picking up at the end of a sentence. But we're doing it. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God. Has been poured out within our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit. Who was given to us. For while we were still helpless. Flashback to Psalm 107 where we just were. While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now 
received the reconciliation. All the elements of Psalm 107 I see in here. This this idea that we were helpless and lost. We were people in great distress. And it's because of our rebellious ways. We were sinners. We were turned against God, doing things against him. But even while that was going on, he, he sent his son to die for us. We were jerks, not listening, idiots, rebellious, hateful. We didn't care a thing about God. And when we were like that, God sent his son to die for us. That's the greatest wonder that has ever happened in the history of all creation. Consider it. Be wise and consider. There's no other demonstration of love that could ever be done than what we are about to remember around this table. God loves you. And he proved it. By sending his son to die on the cross. He gave his life. We remember with the bread, the body of Jesus. We remember with the cup, the blood of Jesus. And as you partake of those, you can remember how much Jesus loves you. His love isn't just kind of love like we love pizza or we love the bangles. We do really, really like the Bengals, though, don't we? And we really, really like pizza, too. And they might go together tonight. But God's love for us is the best. It's the greatest. It is a steadfast, loyal love. Give him your life. Let him mold you and make you. Fill you with hope and goodness. Fill you with life. And beauty. If you need to give your life to Jesus, we encourage you to do it today. Find me, find somebody else right after this service, right after you hear this in a podcast. I don't care, just get a hold of us so that we can tell you how to get into Christ, how to be a participant with Him. You need to be baptized into Jesus. If you have faith in him, you're willing to live for him forever. Give your life to Jesus today.